We can often speak about how God gives so much. And surely He does. But do we live every day as if God is enough? I wonder if there's a Christian in Ukraine that might be saying that right now. I wonder if there is a Christian who may well have lost all of their loved ones and they're the only one in the family remaining that says God is enough. I wonder if there's not a Christian facing a terminal illness knowing that whatever time left might be painful and difficult. Who says God is enough? I'm so glad that you've given me a number of great suggestions concerning best love passages of the Bible. Tonight we'll look at Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. God is enough. Let's review just a few matters. Last month, February, we looked at Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30, the great invitation of the Savior. I mentioned this morning that that passage deals with what in Jesus? A word I wanted you to remember. Remember? Rest. Rest in Christ. So there is, in coming to Jesus, a release of the worries and the anxieties and the stresses and the exhaustion that characterize so many people today. It was also mentioned that Adam preached from the passage you suggested, Isaiah 40, verses 29 through 31. What do we remember about God in that passage? Strength. Renewed strength in God. Rest in God. Renewed strength in God. And then the two verses we looked at this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 Verse 12, so then let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. What's that passage about? It was about presumption, wasn't it? It was about pride. And when we look at 1 Corinthians 10 verse 12, it's about our confidence. God must be where we place our confidence, not self And the more overconfident we are, the less confident we will be in God. Verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 10. God is our comforter. God our rest. God our strength. God our confidence. God, in verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 10... God, our comfort. Now, let's go back to Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13 contains a number of very short statements that are statements of instruction that are frequently dashed with encouragement. It's as if this is a recipe for the best cake you've ever had. Follow this instruction and you'll have a great life in Christ. That's kind of how Hebrews, the epistle of better things, comes to an end. One instruction right after another dashed with plenty of encouragement. 
When you look at Hebrews 13, 1 through 6, one way of looking at it is as follows. Think relationships. Relationships. Christianity is about relationships. And there are short statements all about relationships. In verse 1 of Hebrews 13, relating to brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what the passage is about. How do we relate to them? Love. Love. The very next verse, relating to strangers. The word stranger means being that you treat them as a person who's hospitable. You are a lover of hospitality toward strangers. That's literally the idea in Hebrews 13 too. One wonders if our guests view us as hospitable and loving people. Then you look at verse 3. Verse 3, toward the suffering, how are we to relate to them? The people in prison and others. Compassion. Verse 4, how do we relate to those to whom we're married? In honor and in purity. And then in verses 5 and 6, how do we relate to stuff? How do we relate to material things? How do we relate to possessions? Contentment. Contentment with such things as you have. That's an interesting way to think about relationships. And so it's in this context that we have Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. You know, I was talking with my friend James Mayfield just last Sunday, and he didn't know that this passage was coming up, I don't think, to be preached, that someone had already suggested this passage as one of their best-loved Bible passages. But he was saying, Mr. Mike, I really like Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. Well, James, there's a lot of good reasons why. Because it deals with God is enough. God really is enough. Let's look at verses 5 and 6. The passage begins with a negative. With a negative. Hebrews 13 verse 5 begins with a negative. Keep your life free from covetousness. There's the downside. Now the positive side. And be content with such things as you have. You talk about the looking at the same subject from the negative and positive. That's exactly what's happening here. Two sides of the same coin. Covetousness. It's amazing how much Jesus talked about things and covetousness. Remember Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24? He talked about loving God and loving mammon or money or things, and he says, No one, no one can serve God and stuff at the same time. Matthew 6, 24. 
And then in verse 19, he's, rather verse 21, he says, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus warned a lot about stuff and covetousness. Here's something that's kind of interesting. Hebrews 13.1 says, Love our brothers and sisters. Hebrews 13.2 says, Love love strangers and and try to treat them hospitably. Hebrews 13.5 says, Let your life be free from the love of money. See what's just happened? Free from the love of things. Jesus didn't have a place to lay his head. Matthew 8, verse 20. Terry read Psalm 24 for us in the scripture reading this morning. The Lord of glory didn't have a place to lay his head. Matthew 8, 20. Surely all of us here can say we're far more blessed. We have a place to lay our head. Jesus talked a lot about this. Luke 12, 15, take heed, beware of covetousness. A man's life consists not in the abundance of things that he possesses. He talks about people who are rich with things but are not rich toward God. Luke 12 and verse 21. Jesus talked a lot about covetousness. Paul did too. Paul talked a lot about covetousness. And yet he had learned in whatsoever state he was, therein to be content, Philippians 4 and verse 11. He would write, Godliness with contentment is great gain. In 1 Timothy 6. Same passage, he would also write 6 and verse 10. The love of money is the root of all evil. I think sometimes covetousness is really kind of an acceptable sin. Because we live in a very materialistic world, don't we? And it's difficult for us sometimes to say, God, you are enough. You are all that I really want. I want you plus a car and a house with a mortgage paid for preferably and I want you in a closet full of clothes and I want you and a refrigerator full of food and sometimes we lose sight that God is really enough You think about this, there are passages that repeatedly link immorality and covetousness. Immorality is desiring someone who does not belong to you. And covetousness is desiring stuff and making it something that consumes you. Some examples, 1 Corinthians 5.11 From every immoral person and covetous person, the church is to withdraw if they do not repent. 
I've known churches to withdraw from immoral people, but I have yet to see a congregation withdraw from a covetous individual. Consistency. Continuing, things like immorality and covetousness are not even to be named among us as God's people. That's Ephesians 5 and verse 3. You see, the Bible's linking these terms together. In Colossians 3 and verse 5, mentioning immorality... The passage concludes by mentioning covetousness, which is idolatry. Let your life be free from the love of things and be content with such things as you have. Two parts of the same issue. Our attitude toward things. But where I want to spend the bulk of our time tonight is on verse 6. But before we get to verse 6, let's finish verse 5. Two expressions I want you to mark, and this is worth the price of admission. For he has said... Market. He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Therefore, we can boldly, confidently say, mark that one too. He has said, therefore, we can boldly, confidently say. We can boldly and confidently speak because God has spoken. What does he say? He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. It is a quote from Joshua chapter 1 and verse 5 and Deuteronomy 31 and verse 6. The writer of Hebrews in this word of encouragement, Hebrews 13, 22, wants us to know that we have a God who will not leave us or forsake us. God is enough. Look at the expressions, I will not leave you. You may have been married a long time, but your spouse may depart in death. A number of you have experienced that. You may be with somebody a long time, but they depart. They leave. There may be others in in our lives that were there for a while, but they departed. I will not. I will not leave you. Maybe they fail us. Because sometimes we use the word they left us when we mean they failed us when we needed them the most. I will not leave you, God says. I will not depart. I will not fail you. And then he says, I will not forsake you. I won't forsake you. 
I won't leave you alone. I will not leave you empty-handed. It is because God says that that we can have confidence, boldness. Therefore, we may confidently say, we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. Of whom shall I be afraid? What can man do unto me? It's a quote from Psalm 118 and verse 6. And what's so interesting is Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 consist of two Old Testament quotations that are put together, but right in the middle of them is the statement. I will be their helper. You might be wondering what is the word you need to remember from Hebrews 13 verses 5 and 6 because I've not given it yet. We've been talking about rest and we've been talking about strength in the Lord, rest in the Lord. We're talking about uh, confidence in the Lord and reliance in the Lord. You get to Hebrews 13 verses 5 and 6, help in the Lord. Help in the Lord. He is my helper. The Lord is my helper. Helper, it says. Now listen, friends. The Almighty is your helper. Psalm 118.6, this is God, the Almighty Yahweh. The Lord is my helper. And notice this. Not just the Almighty help is there but constant help. Does the passage read, the Lord was my helper? Is that what it says in your copy of God's Word? Does it say, the Lord most of the time is your helper? Of course not. Mark that word is because it is such a rich Word, even though it consists of two letters. Because His help is constant. The Lord is the helper. And the idea behind helper is kind of like this. We've got so many young moms around here. Sometimes when a baby cries, you have a lot of young moms next. And not always young moms. Their next turn to see which baby that is that might be hurt or crying. The tender heart of someone who really cares and loves. And as thankful as I am for our young moms and for everyone else that cares about children, think about this. Our God is a tender heart that when we cry, comes to our aid and help. He is a helper. Think Psalm 46 and verse 1. Our God is a very present help in time of need. A refuge and a strength. He is. Again. He's an almighty help 
He's a constant help. He's a personal help. The text says, the Lord is what? What does Hebrews 13, 6 say? The Lord is my. I don't see how that could be more personal. The helper is the almighty, constantly present Lord for me, for you. Go back to Hebrews 13. Look at verse 6 with me for a moment or two more. In Hebrews 13 verse 6, it says, I will not fear, I will not be afraid. What shall man do to me? I want to look at this passage in context. Verses 5 and 6 go together. They go together. They are connected in Scripture. The Lord says, Therefore, we can boldly say, Hebrews 3.1, look at the passage. We're to hold firmly to our confidence or boldness in Christ. That's Hebrews 3. In verse 6, when we pray, we can pray with confidence or boldness. Hebrews 4 and verse 16. According to Hebrews 10 verse 19, same book, I'm doing this intentionally. We can enter the most holy place with boldness and confidence because of the blood of Christ. Hebrews 10.35 Don't cast aside your confidence and boldness in the Lord which has great recompense of reward. And then we come to this passage. Hebrews 13, 6, 5 and 6. There's help. If we want to be content, we ultimately realize, we ultimately realize God is our greatest need. What he gives in Christ is what we need most of all. Does he give abundantly more? Absolutely. The Lord is my shepherd. Notice the similarity of terminology. How does Psalm 23, 1 close? I shall not want. I shall not be afraid. What shall man do to me? The secret to contentment in keeping our lives free from covetousness is to have a life that is full of the awareness of God that He is our help. He is our help. You've listened well.
I'll give you a few minutes back that I reserve to take at another time. Amen. Thank you for listening. Who wouldn't want to respond to a God like that? A God that really gives far more than anyone deserves, but a God who is almighty and who helps and is a helper for you. I can't imagine a single person outside of Jesus who was thinking in the right mind, turning down a God like that, so gracious, so loving, so good. Through faith, repentance, and baptism, one can turn to Jesus and His blood and be forgiven by God's amazing grace. And for those of us who are Christians, and we get caught up sometimes in the things of this world and what others have, and maybe keeping up with the Joneses, as we say, or the desire for more, may God help us to remember the Lord is our helper. And he gives us all that we need. Let us stand and sing.